BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Oh, it's time to Ben Drowski show. As I speak, it's Friday, August 12, 2022. Here's a headline. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm always reading other people's headlines. I'm going to read a headline. I'm one of a story I wrote or a column I wrote because it's kind of apropos to what we're going to be talking about with my distinguished guest who will introduce herself in a little while. But here we go. Here's the headline on my latest column. State of anxiety. Darren Bailey's anti-Semitic abortion rhetoric is part of a larger MAGA election strategy. Sad to say, so far it's worked. Yeah, everybody, when you're done listening to this, run, 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 and read the column, and you'll go, oh, my God, this guy is smart. Or maybe you'll be really mad at me. There's a good chance it'll be like that, too. All right. Um, obviously, abortion uh, is uh, a hot topic these days. We've been talking a lot about it on the show. It's uh, ever since the, the Dobbs ruling and some of the more insane, uh, in my humble opinion, laws passed by states uh, throughout uh, the country, uh, the Kansas referendum uh, that uh, stunned me, I must confess, uh, in which close to, I think it was over 58%, close to 59% of the voters uh, voted uh, against restrictions on abortion rights uh, in the state of Kansas. So more people, a higher percentage of voters in Kansas voted for uh, that referendum than voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and so Democrats said, oh, this is an issue we can use uh, in the midterms. Uh, so I don't care why Democrats do, in my opinion, the right thing, so long as they do the right thing. Uh, and now subsequent to that Kansas referendum, uh, the FBI raided Donald Trump's uh, MAGA, <laughs> Mar-a-Laga, what does he call it? The Florida White House. Uh, and so Republicans are desperately trying to change the, the topic uh, in the hopes that they could, people will share their sense of quote-unquote outrage over that. So I'm not certain anymore what uh, will be the predominant issues uh, coming November, but I can tell you this right now. I think it's utter insanity what's happening on the abortion issue in this country right now, and I really do hope uh, the country changes course. That's me speaking, uh, but with, uh, I'm wondering if uh, how much my distinguished guest agrees with me, whether she agrees with me at all. We shall soon find out. Uh, and as I do with all distinguished guests on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hello, this is Natalie Moore, reporter at WBEZ and author of the play, The Billboard, which has also been published. So if you missed the production run this summer, you can buy it and read it. And there's some extra content in the book, too, that we can talk about. Well, when she said that, she was looking at me like, <clears throat> meaning you, Ben. Oh, uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> it was only a three-week run. So. And, and, yeah, and I, I think I saw, there was an article about the play, The the Billboard. Uh, now, like, I can't remember if it was the Sun-Times or the Tribune or both. I can't remember. And I was like, wait, Nellie Moore wrote a play? How come no one told me about this? Uh, and then... Uh, I bumped into Natalie a couple of weeks ago at a reunion of my beloved Chicago reporter, uh, which is a, a news, uh, well, 
newsletter, news magazine, whatever I got my start in way, 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 way many years ago when, when Natalie Moore was just in grammar school. Okay. Uh, and then I saw Natalie there, what are you doing? And she turns out you uh, were a reporter alum. So we t before we take a little, the deep dive on the billboard and abortion is an issue, I'll just talk a little bit, give a little shout out uh, to the Chicago reporter uh, and uh, it, its importance to the city of Chicago and its importance to you. Huge shout out because that was my very first internship. Laura Washington hired me. She was the editor then. Um, this was in the 1995. And I kept a relationship with them. I came back in grad school and then freelanced when I moved back to Chicago under Alden Lowry, who then became eventually my editor at WBEZ on our race, class, and communities desk. And over the years, I've done different partnerships with the reporter at WBEZ. So, you know, the work that I've been doing at BEZ for the past 15 years, covering neighborhoods, housing, segregation, uh, you know, part of that foundation was laid with the reporter which at the time was the only game in town consistently covering race and poverty, investigation, public policy, you know, all the wonky stuff that I loved. Um, there was a place that, that was doing that and a place, you know, that the newspapers weren't doing that, that kind of work. So um, when we, I think when we look at coverage today, which in many ways has improved in Chicago, in part because we have more outlets, which sadly I think is maybe part of the reason why the reporter has been squeezed out. But I think that their legacy is that people covering race before George Floyd, <laughs> or maybe even after, like that, that groundwork was, was laid with the reporter. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, I urge everybody not to, to listen to this interview I'm about to do with Natalie, but then uh, go check out the interview, uh, the conversation I had with Monroe Anderson and Tom Brune. Uh, Tom Brune was editor to reporter when I got there, but way back when in 1981. Whoa. <laughs> and uh, he tells a story about uh, the uh, how uh, efforts by uh, Richard J. Daly and Cardinal Cody to sabotage the career of John McDermott, who's one of the two founders of the reporter, uh, enabled McDermott to switch career goals and, and to found uh, the reporter. So it's kind of interesting, a uh, backstory about how the reporter uh, came into existence. And well, another shout out before we go back to uh, abortion and the billboard, Laura Washington, uh, who hired you, was working at the reporter with me uh, way back when she was an education reporter and she is leading an effort uh, to bring back the reporter uh, and raising money and doing all kinds of good work. So uh, much appreciate that, uh, the great Laura Washington. All right, uh, let's talk uh, the billboard and um, abortion issues in general. Uh, so why don't you just give some, uh, folks a sense of sort of the, the subject, the theme, the setting of your play, The Billboard. The play is set here in Chicago in Inglewood and an anti-abortion billboard goes up saying the most dangerous place for a black child is his mother's womb, abortions, genocide, keep Inglewood black, vote Demetrius Drew for city council. 
And there's a fictitious Black Women's Health Initiative, a clinic in Inglewood, that's outraged. This clinic does everything from let testing to abortion services. And they put up a billboard that says abortion is self-care. And on that billboard are three Black women smiling and kind of laughing. And from there, the dueling billboards, the, the drama starts. There's an incumbent city councilwoman. Uh, there's a 19-year-old program assistant who runs the social media campaign for BWHI. And then there's the board chair who is reluctant about this messaging, but is swayed by the founder and executive director, Dr. Uh, Tanya Gray of BWHI. And I was inspired to write this play because there have been anti-abortion billboards all around the country for more than a decade targeting Black women. And there was one that came to Chicago in 2011. And it didn't get much headway. I mean, they, they were going in big cities, even New York. Um, you know, press conference died down. You know, it didn't, it didn't make any waves. But in 2018, the same Black pro-life guy who's funded by white evangelicals, uh, who did this in Chicago, did it in Dallas. The same kind of message. And then there was the AFIA Center in Dallas, a Black women's, it's not a clinic, but um, a Black woman-led organization around health equity issues. They put up a self-care billboard. Mm -hmm. with the women smiling. And that billboard in some ways, many ways was more controversial than the genocide billboard. And I will admit when I saw that billboard in 2018, it made me uncomfortable. Uh, Self-care, you know, I grew up in the 90s where keep abortion safe, legal and rare was the Clinton mantra. Uh, even how Roe was decided that this is a private matter, that this is privacy. Um, and so there's always been a little bit of shame, even in the pro-choice movement. And, you know, and I understand like you, you know, time evolves, language evolves. Uh, a lot of those critiques weren't present at the time. And my uncomfortability led me to call a friend who's a midwife and an abortion provider in the South. And I was like, what? Like, I feel a certain kind of way about this. And she said, well, a lot of people do. Um, you know, there was a big debate about this, you know, in the reproductive justice community. Uh, but ultimately, women should not feel shame around abortion. And there's been a lot of stigmatization. Um, and so talking that out helped me. And I think art challenges people. And so I was already writing a play that I had in mind that was commissioned by 16th Street Theater, which is in Berwyn. Uh, and so I wouldn't embarrass myself. I took a playwriting class at Chicago Dramatist. And we had a homework assignment to write a four-page play about an object. So a little inside baseball for play lovers. Plays are very urgent. The way journalism is urgent. You just don't write something to really wax about it. There has to be something timely. Uh, it's not topical. And in plays, usually something or someone shows up. And that's what kicks off a play. And the assignment was to write about an object. And so I wrote about the, I created those, the two characters, the board chair, the doctor, 
uh, coming up with their own self-care billboard. I sent that to the artistic director of 16th Street Theater just to say, hey, you know, um, I think I've got this playwriting thing. I got a handle on it. This has gotten great feedback. And she read it and said, this is great. And I don't want to tell you what to do, but I think this is your play instead. And that's how, um, from those two characters, I developed the billboard. And so do you still have uh what what was the word you used uh did, i should have written it down i'm going to quote the exact word but a little awkwardness if you will about the concept of self-care uh, abor abortion of being oh, yeah. I, uncomfortable i, I, I think that was the word way. yeah um it was jarring and now four years later it doesn't seem that way but they were really cutting edge with that message in 2018 and ahead of the the curve, I think, on language outside of, you know, their community, uh, reproductive justice community. So, yeah, I mean, we've never seen women smiling and laughing about an abortion. We've been taught that this is serious. Um, it's solemn. And for some people it is, but for a lot of women, it's relief and not being pregnant anymore. Well, I... Um... Here we go. I'm going to get myself in trouble with this conversation, but let's just go. Um, I have uh, long viewed uh, the attitude about abortion uh, to uh, sort of the attitude about uh, marijuana. I'll explain why, what I'm getting at here. So for years, I talk about this in show all the time. Uh, now, for years and years and years, uh, marijuana was illegal. Uh, and so people in polite society, if you're publicly speaking, could not say something or you felt com you, you didn't feel you could say. Oh, yeah, I smoked reefer last night. Yeah, I smoked it all last weekend. That's how I get through life. If I didn't have that, I don't know what I would do. Or I watched the stoner movie last night and laughed really hard, and I thought it was funny. But when you get in your professional life, it's, it's as though, you know, it's illegal, and uh, you can't condone it, and so you pretend like it doesn't exist, okay? Uh, and meanwhile, if you're a white person, you're free to smoke, and all these black people get arrested for it. That's a whole other story. Um, with abortion... It's like, I think it's a 25%. I want to say, don't quote me, Natalie, but I think it's like 25% of women uh, have had an abortion. I want to say one. In, isn't that it's, something? It's either, I, it's either one in three or one in four. Okay. So I went with the one in four. Let's go with the conservative it's, that's number. Probably, it's probably one in four. I should know this off the top. I did know this off the top of my head. Um, but it's, to your point, it happens. And... You know, I had a, I did a book reading in D.C. in in the spring before the Supreme Court ruling, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a panel that some actors were hired. We had a producer who staged just a you know a scripted reading, and then we had a panel discussion and that included uh, Fatima Goss Graves, who's head of the National Women's Law Center, and she's on TV quite a bit as a pundit and weighing in on these issues of Black women. And a friend told my sister afterwards, oh, I don't know anyone who's had an abortion. And my sister's looking at her like, uh, yeah, you do. You just don't know. And I had been doing some reporting, you know, around abortion for WBEZ. And, you know, language and imagery is important for pro-choice or pro-life. And there's a lot of swag out there that says everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. That's on tote bags, that's on t-shirts. Um, 
so yes, people, and even, and I'm, I'm using pro-choice and pro-life as terms, as movement terms, not as technical terms. Abortion providers will tell you that a lot of pro-life people have abortions. <laughs> they, and they tell on themselves, like they really, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in shutting up is free. Um, but they, I don't think they feel bad, but they will be abusive to staff and they will say, I don't believe in this, but I have a good reason to do this. So yeah, there are individuals who would fall in the pro, pro-life camp who do have abortions. Well, when you said that, see, that's what I'm getting at. And, um, the, the anti-abortion side has been uh, so aggressive for so long in your face. Uh, they've intimidated uh, the abortion rights side. They intimidated them so much, Natalie, that uh, they, they decided not to use abortion in their language. So they talk about pro-choice. They won't even mention the procedure because they're like embarrassed. You know, and I've been chastised by so many different people come on the show and t- told Ben, you're really undermining the, the things you believe with your language you use. So, for instance, I'll go about abortion rights. No, Ben, call pro-choice. Or if I talk about gun control, no, no, Ben, gun safety. So yeah. I'm well aware of how language is important in this larger struggle. But when I hear this story, I'm going to share this with you. A friend of mine, uh, a dear friend of mine, worked for years, uh, abortion rights movement, uh, helping uh, poor women uh, get access to abortion that they couldn't afford. And she said this one time, this uh, woman that she recognized from protests showed up uh to have an abortion and the woman said to her this is still with me Natalie ever since she goes uh I'm against abortion but I can't have this baby I'm like what <laughs> hello it <laughs> happened I can't even get the words out because the inconsistency of it so she'll get access to an abortion safe uh affordable abortion go about her merry way and vote for politicians who will deny that access to other women. I, I find that very frustrating. I don't see the interconnection, the logic there. Uh, help me out here. Do you disagree with the point I'm making or do you share my sense of frustration? Well, you know, I just gave the same anecdote that, yeah. um, that this happened. I, I will say that there, within the abortion rights community, yeah, I mentioned that language and imagery has been important for people for abortion rights and those against. So we know about bloody fetuses, we know about billboards, anti the genocide. But I would say the abortion rights community, like there's more literature, like shout your abortion story that I think part of the strategy is to, to get rid of the stigma and normalize it as a procedure. And so that comes in the form of swag. It comes in the form of storytelling and books, you know, shout your, and, and people don't have to shout their abortion story. No one's making anyone. Um, but the open mic and storytelling is a way to get rid of some of that stigma. Well, we have a, a ways to go before we uh, fully get rid of it. But I know your point, because when we ha- we did a, uh, a show at the hideout just last week uh, and uh, one of the guests was wearing a shirt that said I had an abortion, just wearing a shirt out there. And I was like, yeah. wow, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have seen that. 
Uh, and there's also, have you seen the, um, can, can I, can I swear on your podcast? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> join the, join the long line of people who have dropped various bombs on the Ben Jarofsky show. It's a podcast. You can say whatever you want. Okay. Well, there is the, the, uh, tote bag that says, fuck your abortion ban. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Natalie. I'm really offended by that uh, language. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. We're gonna have to edit that out. Uh, all right. Let me ask you this. So I've not seen the play. Uh, I'm at a disadvantage, but I will buy the book and read it. Um, so in your opinion, if a ward in the Englewood area, there was an election between a person with the point of view of abortion is murder and a person uh, with the point of view uh, that abortion is self-care, they're running one-on-one. Which one do you think would prevail among voters in Englewood? You know, that's a really good question because in my mind, we don't see the outcome to the election, but the incumbent wins because it's hard to beat an incumbent. But one of my friends who visited, she was like, I don't know. Like Trump was elected. Why couldn't Demetrius Drew be elected? Um, I want to say some more about this character, Demetrius Drew. And then, so no one is um, based on anyone in particular. So when you see Cheryl Lewis, the incumbent city councilwoman, I don't think you're going to have a reaction of, oh, she nailed so-and-so. However, as one of my friends told me after seeing the play, because there is a debate scene, she said, this is clearly written by a journalist who's attended too many community meetings. (laughs) So I know the rhythm, I know the platitudes, I, I, I know how, you know, people talk in Chicago and to up the stakes, I put it in a city council race and to also make it uniquely Chicago. So Demetrius, I will say, is an amalgamation of people. And after you read it, I would like, I'm not going to name any names. Um, they're not household names. These are names journalists would recognize and political operatives. Um, he is a black nationalist with a whole lot of uh, gender issues and uh, believes in some ways his argument is just like black men are affected by patriarchy just like white men are. And so his argument is the black family is going to save us. It's going to save the race. And so black women should have babies to build up our leaders. Um, in a way, I also really don't know how he feels about abortion in some ways because he's a local gadfly who now has gotten the attention that he has craved because of this billboard. And when he says, keep Inglewood black, that's what's resonating with voters because of the, I mean, I think you might know this, the hill I will die on is gentrification is not the biggest threat to black Chicago, particularly on the South side. Um, it's disinvestment, and but you know, a whole host of other issues, but gentrification becomes um, a rallying cry because you can coalesce fear around it. And Demetrius is like, We're losing Inglewood. Now, anybody who knows Inglewood knows that Inglewood is still like 99% Black. Um, But it's like, 
the craft beers are coming. <laughs> the you know, you see all these vacant buildings and yeah. land. That's because the whites are coming. So he uses that boogeyman. But then he talks. Um, I mean, I think he's a job turkey, but I didn't want to make him a character either. And so he's like, I want to, you know, this incumbent has been stagnant. This neighborhood has had stagnation. You know, what, a, you know, we need urban agriculture. We need thriving schools. We need black owned businesses. We need black contracting jobs. So abortion is his device to get at these other issues. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you what happens in the play. Uh, that'll just encourage people to uh, see the play whenever they can or uh, read the book uh, to see the outcome of the play. I, I, um, I've been watching uh, this, the language uh, abortion weaponized in, uh, in black communities for a long time, politically speaking, uh, and it's expanded. It's sort of the same themes, uh, but it expanded. Uh, and it, it, it's targeting the right word, uh, but I'll use that word right now, uh, to Jewish Americans, to Jews. Uh, and this is uh, on my mind a lot, uh, Natalie, because uh, we talk a lot about it on the show, and I just wrote about it, Darren Bailey, the Republican governor uh, for the, the here in Illinois, uh, was, uh, gave a speech in, in 2017 uh, to his supporters uh, in which he said, I believe that abortion is one of the greatest atrocities of our day, and I believe it's one of the greatest atrocities probably forever. Uh, the attempted extermination of the Jews of World War II doesn't even compare on a shadow of the life that's been lost with abortion since legalization. Now, to me, that's classic anti-Semitism. That's me speaking. I know there's some journalists in town who disagree with me, uh, and I guess they have the right to their own opinion, right? I have the right to mine, uh, but I think it's classic anti-Semitism because it's trivializing, disparaging, and marginalizing millions of people who the Nazis killed uh, and saying that somehow or other uh, a fertilized egg is the same as a human being who's like walking around the street, all right? Uh, and now I'll relate it to black people because this is not just Jews they're picking on. This is a quote. Uh, from right after Buffalo. I don't know if you saw this one, uh, Natalie, but right after Buffalo in May, a white supremacist armed with a semi-automatic rifle gunned down shoppers in a grocery store in Buffalo. I know everybody knows about murdering 10 people. Soon thereafter, a woman named Laura Loomer, who's running for Congress in Florida, uh, put this out on her social media page. Quote, Planned Parenthood has still targeted and killed more black people than the Buffalo supermarket shooter. End of quote. To me, what Laura Loomer was saying was the exact same thing that Darren Bailey was saying. She was trivializing, marginalizing the death of people, trying to make them inconsequential, like she didn't have to care about them, that she didn't have to think about white supremacy as an issue in this country, didn't have to think about guns as an issue in this country, because abortion is worse. And I'm like, no, I don't buy that at any level. And I... I find that exceedingly offensive, just like I find it offensive uh, when Darren Bailey um, says what he said about the extermination of Jews in World War II. And yet, Natalie, help me with this. Anti-abortion people feel free to say stuff like this. They feel like they're yeah. justified. Go ahead. 
Yeah, you you hit on. Um, they resonate for for two different reasons, and I would say that it is just a good rule of thumb to never compare anything to the Holocaust because when you do, you, you know, you get in trouble, you get backlash. So, um, and and especially, I don't think non-Jews should ever really be having that conversation. I think that there are some inter-ethnic, inter-religious, inter-racial conversations that can be had. Um, and I, 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 it does feel anti-Semitic to me too. Um, and I know that Bailey said, oh, you know, he doubled down and said, Jews agree with me. And, you know, it's like, no, I don't know who he talked to because, you know, you can use straw men for, for, for that. Like you don't have to name names or do any of that. Now I will say the Planned Parenthood argument becomes a little trickier because abortion is about body autonomy. And for black women in this country in particular, I mean, you can say this about indigenous women, women all over the globe, but I'm just gonna, you know, in this context of America, talk about black women having to birth babies that they did not want to, maybe from rape, maybe because they were breeders, not having a choice over their bodies under slavery. And then you have Margaret Sanger of Planned Parenthood who did believe in eugenics. So I think that that sentiment taps black people knowing the lack of control that black people have had over their bodies in this country. And if you can pin it on, look at this woman. I remember when I first learned about Margaret Sanger, I was like, oh, and then I was like, okay, it's more complicated than that. It wasn't, if you don't do your research, you can be like, oh my gosh, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood believed in eugenics and wanted to exterminate black people. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do have a nod to that in the, in the play there, characters like oh no Planned Parenthood um but you know there's one funny because social media is is um prevalent in the in the play and you read it in the in the text but it's multimedia staged um and these are real things someone said what would Martin Luther King say and then someone wrote back you dumbass Planned Parenthood honored Dr. King and Coretta Scott King in 19 in 1966 they believed in family planning and W.E.B. Du Bois had a relationship with Margaret Sanger. Um, you know, did she have some questionable views? You know, was she, you know, right on everything? No, um, but that becomes a proxy for other yeah. issues. And then it also can turn into some black men feeling let, that black women are falling to white feminism. That's a, you know, that, that's a whole nother thing. Um, but I, I want to add that the, I mentioned that there's extra content in the book. So I write an introduction. Um, Imani Perry, the wonderful scholar, wrote the foreword to it. Jane Sachs did an afterword. But I did a Q&A with a woman named Tony Bond. You've heard me a couple of times say reproductive justice. Reproductive justice is a movement founded in Chicago in 1994 by 12 black women who were at a pro-choice conference. 
and they felt like under you know this is at the time that the clinton health um bill was trying to get underway and these black women felt like you know we need an intersectional response that it's too much just about abortion and so a a way to think about this is you know access and choice you know choice is this word but if you don't have access you don't have choice so they created a new framework and and tony bond no longer lives here um but her archives are at the vivian harch center right here in chicago at carter g woodson library and i wrote a column about her in the sun times a couple of months ago but the q a she just lays it all out how it came to be um you know what reproductive justice is and it's four pillars the right to have a child the right not to have a child the right to parent the way that you want with support and the right to sexual pleasure body autonomy. So when you hear those four pillars, it's bigger than choice. And in this post role world that we're living in, you know, we know that women of color and low income women do not have the means they mean to travel to another state to get an abortion. And they might not have had, and, and they had trouble with those means even when there weren't the type of abortion, before Roe was overturned. So it's a, it's a different framework, um, you know, a, a justice lens. And it's a movement that I think is gaining some traction, but it's not really known. And, you know, the fact that it started in Chicago is, um, it's pretty significant. What's the significance of it starting in Chicago? Because it was here and I just, of all things that were <laughs> in, in Chicago. <laughs> Nellie Moore loves Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. She was born and raised in the South Side. Okay, I was just like. Uh, well, I, mean, I don't, when I say significant that, you know, it's just part of the history that's here. And I also wrote a piece for WBEZ.org about the long history of abortion here in Illinois from, you know, the 18, and, you know, and a lot of abortion, anti-abortion laws in states happened around slavery. Yeah. And so when you, when you read the, I, I did not read the, the decision, the Alito decision after Roe came out, but I read the leaked opinion. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Dobbs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, I, my understanding is it's, you know, pretty much the same. Um, the argument that the abort, that abortion is not in the constitution or that states outlawed abortion. And, you know, I think no matter how you feel on the issue, you have to look at the time frame of the 1800s, like 1827. And, yeah. you know, and there were, there were fears about, and this, this stunned me. There were fears in the 1800s that not enough white people were having babies. So this patriarchy, white supremacy goes back with abortion, um, you know, to the, to the 1800s. And so I, when I talk about the significance of Illinois, how Illinois, you know, the Janes were here, the underground abortion movement. Um, it's been a hotbed for activism. And also backlash. Um, 
the, you know, Henry Hyde, the Hyde Amendment, a lot of laws in the 70s, state laws that got on the books uh, became models for the country. So saying you can't use Medicaid for abortion, that came from Henry Hyde, the Hyde Amendment. And then you have Illinois that um, under Rauner, Bruce Rauner, Republican, that was reversed. And also in the 2019 Reproductive Health Act takes abortion out of the criminal code. So um, yeah, I mean, there, there are lots of books to read. Leslie Regan has a terrific book about abortion criminalization. She's a professor at University of Illinois Law School. Um, but if you want the crib notes of this, you can go to wbz.org and, and read my um, my piece. All right. Uh, I uh, I thought the answer you're going to give why Chicago significant is the one I would probably give, which, of course, I wouldn't recommend anybody else giving it. And that is that the forces of hate, repression and segregation uh, are so strong and powerful in the city of Chicago that it just as a response for survival purposes, Chicago comes up with some pretty powerful activists. Uh, and uh, I would say that's true, although I, I, I mean, my interpretation during that time is that this was more of a national issue. Like this was something that black women were recognizing that there needed to be a different kind of voice within the abortion rights movement. Uh, fair enough. And by the way, I would just like to, to close by saying uh, the four pillars of uh, reproductive justice that you outlined uh, is a long way removed from a Bill Clinton's view that you started the conversation quoting. And I always forget it. I always screw it up because of my dyslexia. Natalie, uh, what was Clinton's line? Safe, legal, and rare. Yeah, see, that's so classic. Don't even get me started on Bill Clinton. Uh, but yeah, that's so classic, Bill Clinton. Uh, not going to take a stand on this thing here, uh, but uh, just got to send a message to my base uh, that I uh, am pro-choice. But I mean, I will, I will, I mean, my recollection is that that was, ex I mean, I don't know if that was a base statement. You know, you, know, you know, abortion became legal in 1973. You have a backlash in the 70s. Roe was a privacy issue not a human rights issue. And so the, you know, th there is a, a scene in the play where, you know, someone's wearing, and I've seen this swag too, abortion is a human right. And I, I think just over time that there's just, you just evolve and you understand what these issues are really about. So, you know, I don't know if, if Bill Clinton came up with that on his own, but it was endorsed, you know, it was something, it wasn't something that he was saying and others are like, no, that's horrible. I mean, <laughs> no, you know, nobody said that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was kind of accepted. I remember thinking, and, and the rare, I don't think it was meant to be stigmatizing. It was, I mean, if you, if you have access to birth control, you won't have an unintended, yeah. unintended pregnancy. Um, you know, it's, abortion doesn't always come down to that, but, you know, that birth control and access to medical care, you know, all these things play a role. Um, and so I, I think there were a lot of unintended consequences in the, the pro-choice okay. movement. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to uh, burden this conversation with my uh, prejudice against Bill Clinton. No, uh, but I mean, but these are fair things to talk about. Yeah, now. I mean, but they're pretty profound. They're pretty out there, Natalie. And I, 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 I will say this. Uh, I I lived through the Clinton years, and I vote every time he was on a ballot. Natalie, I voted for the man. So okay, just want to put that out there. So I'm culpable, uh, and I bought into like the whole attitude of messaging. Uh, and then I look at all the things that Clintons did, and and then like the 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 backlash. Uh, 20 years later, from people on the left, like just we're not going to get into this, but just like throwing people into jail, uh, you know, for drugs and stuff, and and I just. I just, it, to me, there's some parallels there. Uh, I, I, and I will say this, there's a great book. I'm gonna give a shout out. Uh, it's a novel called Mercy Street by a woman named Jennifer Hay, which I urge everybody to read when you're done reading um, uh, Billboard. Uh, and uh, she talks in this book, it's a novel about a woman who works in a uh, uh, women's uh, health center and where they have abortions, there's protesters there all the time. And someone tells her, uh, well, uh, I'm 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 for abortion, but only when it's a good case. And I'm like, and the character's <laughs> like, what is that? I mean, you know what I mean? Like you define that. So, uh, the shaming, the battle between shaming uh, and proclaiming it as a health right or a reproductive right uh, is an ongoing battle in this country. Uh, so, anyway, Natalie Moore, thank you so much uh, for coming on my little humble podcast. I greatly appreciate it. One more time, tell folks. The name of the book, uh, it has it come out yet? Can they buy it? What's, oh, yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been out. Um, the book came out in March. It's called The Billboard, a play about abortion, and you can buy it wherever you buy books, preferably an independent bookstore. And um, it was staged this this summer, 16th Street Theater. And uh, I mean, my hope, my dream is that other theaters around the country pick it up. But in, in the meantime, you can... You can read it in plays. I know a lot of people don't buy plays <laughs> to read as as books, but um, you can read it in in one sitting. Yeah, no, I love I, I particularly after seeing a play. Now this is totally unrelated. I love if I enjoy it. I love buying the play because I can still hear the voices of the actors in my brain when I'm reading it, and really just uh just and even even in tv shows i just read uh i don't know if you saw the tv show slow horses or whatever it's, it's a spy show but i just read the novel and when i was reading the novel i could hear like the voices of those actors like, pounding like oh yeah it makes it more meaningful so i'm with you about buying plays and after their uh after seeing a show all right uh natalie moore thank you very much for taking time to come on my show Thank you for having me. And I look forward to talking to you after you've read it, especially when you think of Demetrius Drew. Oh, I'll bring you back. We'll have, we'll have another. What if okay. I can't stand the guy? Oh, we'll have a, a well, debate on you that. probably won't be able to stand him. <laughs> I probably won't. Well, who will I dislike more, uh, Demetrius Drew or Bill Clinton? That is a subject that we'll have the next time. <laughs> I'm struggling with Bill Clinton, Natalie Moore, as you could tell. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Natalie Moore. That's the great Natalie Moore. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.